Hi, everybody. I hope everyone's having a wonderful day. This is part two to the episode of Ethics and AI with Yoav Schlesinger. In part one, we discussed ethical and responsible innovation and the associated benefits and challenges. Now we'll continue discussing some of those concepts further. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, and actually getting more into bias in AI, can you give me more of um, like a brief overview, I guess, of how bias plays a role in AI um, and maybe get into more detail of uh, maybe more examples um, and kind of how that error plays into AI? Sure. So bias creeps in in all sorts of ways. Um, And it's mostly through subjective human decision making where bias is introduced. So let me let me walk you through maybe an example. I think that would be really instructive to think about how bias might be introduced. So let's take the example of a um, voice assistant, right? We know Siri, Cortana, Alexa, whatever. Let's imagine a new voice assistant that we want to build. The first thing we're going to do is decide what we want that voice assistant to do, right? What is the job the voice assistant needs to do? And from that first moment, we're already making decisions about what matters, right? Um, In terms of how we would want it to behave, what kinds of objectives we'll have, how we'll measure those, et cetera, right? And then we say, okay, we want to recognize uh, a range of speakers uh, of different you know, ages, genders, race, et cetera. But by and large, you know, maybe those data sets aren't easily available, or maybe it costs a lot to put those data sets together. Or maybe we didn't actually say we want a range of speakers of English and other languages, et cetera. And maybe we just said, let's just get whatever data we can. And if we're just getting a off-the-shelf data set of voices, chances are it's going to be biased toward, as we know, white men, right? English speakers, standard English speakers, um, middle-aged people, right? And as a result of that, that speaker is going to be biased in all likelihood. That assistant is going to be biased in all likelihood toward people with dialects, with accent-inflected English, with um, speech impediments, with a range of different ways and modes of speaking um, or different kinds of vernacular, like African-American vernacular English, right? All these things may not be recognized by the voice assistant. So now you have bias being perpetuated, right? And those that voice assistant that we've now created is probably also going to be retrained or at, through time by collecting the things that people say to that voice assistant and then learning, right, and retraining its model to be able to recognize those voices. Well, it turns out that if the system is best at recognizing white men, white men are probably going to be the primary users of that voice assistant, right? Because if not recognizing my voice, if I have Chinese inflected English, then why would I use it? Right. So you have now selection bias creeping in in the fact that you're going to be continually populating this already biased model with more bias because of who's going to be using it. Right. And learning and reinforcing those biases even more. Now, let's say that that voice assistant is meant to be making recommendations about 
the kind of music to listen to or the things to buy or uh, places to go, et cetera, right? Well, now it's going to also be making recommendations about places, frankly, that oh, white men like to go. So maybe it's going to recommend, I don't know, go play squash or go skiing as opposed to go on a you know graffiti walk of downtown. I don't know. I'm just making things up, right? But you can see how that bias then perpetuates in the kinds of activities that the voice assistant might recommend. And so all these biases now are layered on top of each other. And we'll now try to see like, okay, well, how do we measure how good this voice assistant is? And the white men in the room, right, who've built this voice assistant will say like, looks good to me, right? It's doing exactly what I would expect it to do. And because we don't have an inclusive team by and large in AI building communities, the risks and the harms that are perpetuated against those other communities aren't even necessarily recognized, observed, and therefore mitigated against, right? So that's a long answer uh, with one specific example. And you say, okay, well, the, a voice assistant doesn't really cause harm, but what happens when those biases are in industries like lending, where now if you're Black in America, you're less likely to get alone, or if it's in healthcare and you're less likely to receive adequate care if you live in a low-income neighborhood, right? And all these other kinds of biases where where you can imagine that stacking um, effect of bias being layered on itself with, in many cases, you know, life-altering consequences rather than just whether or not it recognizes what song I want it to play. And it seems like maybe there's kind of a lack of perspective, um, not maybe not with uh, your team, but maybe in general um, in the AI field of maybe a lack of diversity or perspective when making AI. Um, and so would you think that getting more perspective and more diversity um, when creating AI, AI in these data sets would kind of be the key to go moving toward eliminating bias? It is definitely a key. I don't know if I could call it the key, but it is essential. Um, And there are lots of people who've done very good research that demonstrates more diverse and inclusive teams in business in general, but specifically in AI, yield better outcomes, better decision-making, more collaboration, better risk spotting, all those sorts of things. Because the lived experience of members of the team is really essential to identifying those risks, right? Um, You know, if you are creating a new feature for a dating app, but you have no women on the team who've ever experienced harassment through a dating app, then you may very well introduce features that, you know, a woman would see and be like, no, no, that's a bad idea right? Because I've experienced harm through that and we should guard against it, right? And that's a a stupid example, but that lived experience matters tremendously. So there are organizations, I serve actually on the advisory council of a group called AI for All, which is very uh, purpose-driven in its efforts to drive Latinx, Black, uh, women, underrepresented minorities in general, et cetera, into the field of AI. because it's essential. That pipeline and that talent flow and the inclusive, empowered, diverse composition of teams in AI is going to be a necessary, not sufficient, but a necessary element uh, uh, to building more ethical AI from here on out.
And so uh, let's say an AI made a mistake or a bias um, or an error of some sorts. Um, would would you say that the creator or the data sets would be held accountable um, as opposed to the AI itself? Well, I don't know how you would hold the AI itself to be accountable, right? AI is not a person. It's just a thing. It's, it's, it's math, right? It's, it's algorithms. So the issue of accountability is interesting. I think where there's intersectional accountability, if that makes any sense. So take, for example, um, autonomous vehicles, right? And the use of AI in an autonomous vehicle. Let's say that autonomous vehicle, you know, catastrophically, devastatingly runs over a pedestrian. Now, the issue of accountability becomes complicated, right? Is it the accountability and responsibility of the pedestrian for having crossed the street outside of the crosswalk so that the AI couldn't recognize that person as a pedestrian? Is it the builder of the hardware? Is it the builder of the software? Is it the engineer or data scientist who built the algorithm? Is it the company? Is it the, you know, people who paved the roads who might not have used the right materials to get recognizable, right? Like there's so many um, intersectional accountabilities that we as a society have to reckon with, not just from a legal framework, but also from an ethical framework to think through that accountability. Um, but all that said, yes, the builders of AI have a responsibility to do so responsibly, right? And I think we're starting to see different legal frameworks even proposed that that do that. So the European Union just released a set of proposed AI regulations where in high-risk use cases, the builders of AI will have to be responsible for debiasing their data sets and their models, will have to create documentation to that effect, um, will have to meet a set of obligations and standards if they operate in certain areas that have been designated as high risk, um, which I think is a really important step forward. That proposed regulation is not perfect yet. It still needs some work, but that's the direction where I think we're headed with an understanding that the companies that build AI have a responsibility to build it well. And do you think the actual um, people who are helping build AI um, and all of them are fully aware of their bias as well? No. Um, I mean, we talk all the time about, you know, unconscious bias, right? Um, and so everyone has biases that they both are and are not aware of. You become more aware of them, right? Um, but it's probably impossible to see all of your own biases. Um, and that, again, it harkens back to why diverse and inclusive teams are important, right? Because where I have a blind spot, hopefully someone else on my team doesn't have the same blind spot. They'll have their own, right? But they won't necessarily, hopefully have mine. Um, and so, no, I think that we all as human beings have biases that about what matters, what we measure, how we do that, um, that just play out. And that's why it is impossible to eliminate bias in AI, right? Anybody who proposes or claims that their AI is bias-free is 
woefully mistaken. Um, they, they just think that there's no bias in the one spot they're looking, right? Um, but there's no such thing as unbiased AI. Whatever it is, there is, there is some bias. Um, it can be mitigated, it can be uh, minimized, but it can't be eliminated. Yeah, and um, I want to talk a little about a little about the article um, evolving to a more equitable AI. And I believe you were interviewed in it, and you talk a little bit about empathy and AI, and how um, you note that AI doesn't have empathy yet, and probably never will. And I was just interested in that, and kind of your viewpoint. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on that. Sure, um, and thanks for reading the article. Um, in my opinion. Empathy is a uniquely human characteristic. That doesn't mean that AI can't mimic it, right? Can't parrot empathy, but it's in the same way that a sociopath, right? Mimics empathy, like doesn't actually have it, but knows what it looks and sounds like. And so can then like say the right things or act in the right way so that people interpret it as empathy, but it's not actually empathy, right? And that's also true of AI. Um, like a, an algorithm doesn't feel emotion, right? Um, it can learn what emotion sounds like so that if I'm talking to an AI chatbot therapist, and there's lots of those out in the market now, I think the last one I read about in the New York Times is called Wobot, um, W-O-E-B-O-T, instead of robot. Um, which you know enables automated chatbot experience for therapy. Like if you you can teach that AI what a therapist would say in response to different prompts, and therefore it can sound a lot like a therapist, but it's not actually a therapist, right? Um, so that's my perspective. And you know, there's this quintessential test in AI called the Turing test which was originally proposed by Alan Turing, which is essentially the test of, you know, if a person is engaging with an AI and a person, can they not distinguish the, between the two, right? Is the AI good enough to pass as a human being? And we've probably gotten to the point where plenty of AI can pass the Turing test and, and seem human enough to pass as human. Um, but again, that's just passing as human in the same way as sociopath passes as having empathy. Um, and it's not actually empathy. So that has benefits, right? There are benefits to being able to do that in the sense, like the case I just gave you in therapy, right? There are great outcomes in research associated with certain kinds of therapy being delivered by AI in very concrete areas like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example. Not across the board, but right, certain small use cases. So being able to mimic that empathy can have usefulness. Um, but like you said at the beginning, I don't think AI ever will have genuine empathy. Yeah, that's a super interesting point. And um, I guess based on your experiences um, and some of the things we talked about today, do you think that we as humans are going down the right path to developing and implementing AI and kind of what surrounds that as well? That is such a hard question. Are we going down the right path? As a society, 
I would say the introduction of new technology is always messy, right? There's a period of sorting it out and figuring out how we will operate with that new technology as integral as part of the society, right? So think back to the beginning of the 20th century when on the streets of certain cities, there were still horse-drawn carriages, streetcars, right? And now the introduction of automobiles, right? And you had like all three of these technologies intersecting in a huge messiness, right? And um, people were getting, pedestrians were getting run over and killed all the time, right? Because you didn't know where to look. Like, should I be looking for a horse? Should I be looking for the streetcar coming? Where's the car coming from? There were no rules of the road, really, by and large, right? Traffic lights hadn't been introduced. Um, we were still, uh, there were no stop signs. Cars didn't have brake lights, right? I mean, there were all these innovations that hadn't yet been introduced as the guardrails, both in terms of the product itself, seatbelts, airbags, rear view mirrors, right, for cars, all these sorts of things, as well as the governing structures, stoplights, traffic lights, one-way streets, right, all the things that would create safety on the roads um, to, to put in place all the structures that we would need for the responsible integration of that technology into society, into society. And it took whatever it was, 50, 60, 70 years, right, for all of that really to fully embed itself in society. Um, and I think that we'll probably accelerate that significantly around AI. I don't imagine it will take another 70 or 80 years for us to figure out how to do that responsibly, but we're in the messy period right now, right? We're in the messy period where we're all just trying to figure it out and, you know, building the plane and flying it. Um, and trying to figure out how to do it responsibly. So I think probably directionally, we will get there. The sort of arc of history tells us that new in, the new technologies get introduced. It's complicated for a while. And generally speaking, it smooths out and we head in a mostly positive direction with a few notable exceptions like nuclear weapons, right? Where we'd say like new technology introduced, we probably never should have introduced it. Um, but uh, I think... So this was all a long way of answering your question, which is, I think we're probably heading in the right direction, but it's going to be a while and it's going to be messy until we get there. Yeah. And kind of switching gears a tiny bit, um, going to something that happened pretty recently. Um, if at all, how has the pandemic maybe impacted the way we use and view AI? And are there additional things that we've learned that maybe we didn't anticipate before? Definitely. Um, so, you know, at, as a whole in society, you can think about how speeded up the drug discovery process was for COVID-19 vaccines through the use of AI, right? Like we can far more quickly identify viable uh, drug candidates and therapeutics. We can do better uh allocation of scarce resources like vaccines through the use of AI, right? There's a tremendous ability um, to do things that we've never been able to do through the use of AI. 
and the pandemic forced business to completely reinvent itself as a remote first experience, which also uh, turned to AI in a significant way, right? So for Salesforce, for example, we saw just huge adoption of chatbots in the service industry over the last year and a half because all the service center workers were sent home and were working from home rather than in call centers. And so they needed bots to take easy cases, do triage and inbound service requests, et cetera, before handing it off to an agent for more escalated or more complicated requests, et cetera, right? Um, so you saw this huge digital transformation at the same time as like a societal health and well-being transformation driven by AI. So you probably saw 10 years of technological innovation and transformation compressed down into six months, right? So it's just hugely rapid transformation. Um, so I think the pandemic showed a lot of potential for AI. Um, certain risks too, right? Around like surveillance and contact tracing and a bunch of things that probably we shouldn't have deployed or we need to be really responsible in deploying. Um, but overall, I think that that transformation has been exciting to see and who knows where it'll go from here. Yeah, and I think that kind of um, wraps everything up. Is there any, I don't know, maybe things that we might have missed um, that you think that's important about AI that you'd maybe like to say or just kind of a fun fact um, about maybe AI or ethics, something like that? if I have any fun facts, but I would say that, you know, I think the key to unlocking ethical AI is being really clear about what your values are, right? Articulating those values and then acting in a way that aligns with those values, right? So at Salesforce, we have committed ourselves to responsible, accountable, transparent, empowering, and inclusive AI, right? Like we're really clear. These are our five values and principles that will undergird everything we do in AI to ensure that we're doing it in a way that we will call ethical. Um, and every company, every business, every government should have that similar specificity of what those commitments mean, and then you can operationalize. But you can't operationalize ethics without knowing what you mean by ethics. Um, so I think we all can do that work. And I think it's exciting work. And I think the future has tremendous potential and excitement. We just have to work together creatively to innovate and deploy ethical AI in such a way that we see its greatest potential realized and minimize arms that might be associated um, because we can build a better society and a better world if we, if we get it right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that pretty much concludes this. So thank you so much again for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. This concludes the interview. I hope you all had a great time listening, and I'd like to give a big shout out to Yoav Schlesinger for taking time to do this interview. I had a great time, and I hope you did too. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you on the next one.